In just a moment, uh, we're going to have the word presented to us um, in a, a different way. But uh, before Michelle comes to do that, um, let me read the text for this morning. Taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, reading from verse 1 through to 21. This is the word of the Lord. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their town, their own town, to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let me repeat that. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Prince of Peace, and God is man. So we could understand who he is, what he says, what he does, but we will never comprehend that he imagined to send his one and only son to help us mend our brokenness, our disbelief, our self-induced pain, and self-produced grief. His love was so wide, his love was so deep that heaven could not possibly keep it all. So some think he chose to fall to earth, to us. But I believe instead we rose as he chose to reveal himself in the smallest of ways. A babe in a manger lay, the tiniest of packages filled to the brim with him. But we could not accept that this was his way to intercept a world lost. And he would pay the cost. The price was not too high, but still we ask why and cannot 
and cannot grab hold of this mystery because we have no history of kings stepping from thrones, of fathers sacrificing sons, of friends lying down, laying down their lives for friends, of the spotless coming to the earth to cleanse us from our humanity and vanity and Christianity so that we would know firsthand and not misunderstand that he is coming back again to take us to his promised land where next to him we will stand and he will introduce us to his dad who looking glad says I've been waiting anticipating your arrival I see you know my son my loved one you prove he was not sent in vain to suffer so much pain to stand in so much shame but you you are worth it all a birth in a cave, a death on a tree. Also, I could see you again. And then he'd sigh and say, I wouldn't change a thing. Anyone can be a king. I chose instead to feel the sting of death so that you would know that my love is above everything, unending, unbending, extending out to all I call. As I watch you search in and out of a church for a savior, I say, stop, do not run. The race is won. It is done. I am the one. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, this morning, I want to reflect on just one particular verse in all of what has been read, and it is verse 14. This is what it says, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace at the time of the birth of Jesus Christ was the peace of Rome or the Pax Romano. It was a season in history, a time in history defined by Rome as having been successful in conquering all its foes. It was a peace defined by a, a government that had finally got its control. Hence the fact that the, uh, the gospel author Luke tells us that, that Quirinius was, was taking a census. They were counting the people because in order to sustain the peace that had been attained through bloodshed, one had to make sure you knew exactly how many people were under your thumb. It was a peace that in many ways was defined, not in the way that the angels would speak of it, but a peace that was forced upon people. The threat was real. But the angels come and they speak these very words that I shared with you today. It's an alternate word to the peace of Rome. It is an announcement that, that doesn't sound quite like what anybody has heard before. It is the peace that comes because Jesus Christ enters into the reality of humanity, into this world, and offers something that is not forced upon us in any way. It is not something that Rome can offer. The peace that is being offered in Jesus is a peace that is contrary to the peace of Caesar and of Rome. I have to be honest this morning that uh, as I've thought about this particular text and the particular theme of peace, I can show and point and refer to over the last 24 hours, 48 hours, the last month or two, the many places in our world in which peace is absent. It seems that when I read the biblical story, it's jarring, isn't it? It should be jarring because what it pronounces somehow in my purview of what I see in the world seems to be a distant reality. It seems to be in some ways idealistic. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those upon whom God's favor rests. 
This idea that glory, the glory of God, the praise of God is tied into the peace of the world, that, that somehow these two things are held in tension, that God is glorified, perhaps is another way of saying, when peace is realized, that what the, the heavens are praised for is not praised for apart from what is made true in the present world, that God is most glorified when his creation is most at peace. That God is honored most when things are made whole and when brokenness pervades and when separation is there and when pain is around. It seems that in many ways we are told an alternative story to the story that the scriptures teach us. Glory to God in the highest and peace upon those whom God's favor rests. Ah, the favor of God. You know, the only way that I can access some of these ideas on favor is to personalize it. And, and I have to do one of two things. I have to either find new hobbies and new places to spend most of my time so that I would not have to use my family as an example every time I preach. But until I make that kind of move in my life, they will have to suffice. The joy of being favored... Uh, my wife and I would, uh, we, we would say things like this in our home. We would say this. We would say, we would say, uh, you, Alana, are our f- most favorite youngest child. Uh, you, you will understand that my home, that is a very intentional choice of words because my son Luke, who in his makeup has a high, incredibly high sense of justice. Things must be fair. I won't tell you where he gets that from, but he gets it from one uh, of his parents. And, and for Luke, if, if things are not divided evenly, so, you know, if I buy a bag of Skittles and I say, share this with your sisters, I will ask him to share it because his idea of justice means everyone gets exactly 21 Skittles. And if it can't divide evening among three, he will give the excess to his father or to his mother to ensure that everybody gets exactly what they want. We say this to our children because, uh, well, I, I speak to my children all the time about how special they are to, to Lauren. We will say, you know, I, I remember when you were born. Oh, you, you were so, you're first. There's something special. There's something great about that. I, I think as a parent, I want my children to know this incredible joy and pleasure that I find in who they are, that I favor them, that I choose them, that I would choose them again and again and again and again and again. And when I read this particular text in this particular season, I think about what this word is saying in our world in which perhaps very few of us feel like chosen people. Very few of us feel that we are favored by God, that God's blessing, that God's peace, that his grace is upon our lives, that we are the ones whom he looks at with great joy, with great delight. And yet the scripture teaches us that the glory of God is tied into the peace on earth and that peace is given to those upon whom his favor rests. This morning, I think the text teaches us a few simple truths. That the favor that God gives or the favor that he bestows upon people comes to ordinary people. It comes to 
a shepherd. It comes to Mary and Joseph. It comes to Elizabeth and Zechariah. It comes to ordinary people that when I look at the world and I don't see peace as I'd like to see it across all scopes and economies and countries and nations, the scripture tells us that peace does not necessarily get birthed on that cosmic level until the peace has come to the individual. That the Christmas story teaches us that the peace that God offers comes to human beings, to ordinary people. That the favor of God, the peace of God, the gift of God, the wholeness of God is given to you and to me as people. That in fact, the ability to change a world does not begin with changing the political system. It begins with changing the system within you and me. It begins with this personal transformation of being open to that which God can do in us. And so the question perhaps I can ask of the world is why we don't see peace in the world. But the harder question I think for me to answer is why does my life oftentimes not feel like it is whole, filled with shalom and filled with peace? Could it be in this particular season that the invitation of Scripture is to that belief and that faith? Because I think that if... The favor of God comes to ordinary people and, and God wants to bring peace into this world through, through you and me. Then how do we access that? How do we live as people of peace? How do we embody it? How do we present it? How do we live a different life? You know, when I, when I read the Gospel of Luke, there's two stories that come to mind. The first is of a woman who, uh, who enters the house of a Pharisee, a religious leader. This woman enters the house because she heard that Jesus was there. And as Jesus is there, reclining at the table, and we all know we are pretty smart people these days. We know that that you didn't sit the way we sat, uh, sit at the table. Uh, we're having some students over for lunch today, and we won't have you do this. But in Jesus' day, they laid on their side and ate off the table. And the scripture teaches us that this woman, who the, the text repeatedly defines this way, a sinful woman... <laughs> comes into Jesus' presence. She knows something about Jesus, and she knows who she is. In fact, you can't doubt when you read this particular scripture that this woman was well aware that she was undeserving, that she was a sinner. She came into his presence, and the scripture says she started to cry. The tears ran from her eyes, and as the tears ran from her eyes, it ran onto the feet of Jesus. And I think it was a lot more, a lot more, you know, kind of uh, 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 organic or, 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 or not predicted as we read it in scripture. I think that as the tears fell, she perhaps just felt like I, I got to wipe the tears off his feet, you know. And so the scripture teaches that she starts to wipe his feet, and then it turns into an act of worship. She breaks a perfume jar, you know the story, and she 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 anoints his feet, and and it says that Simon the Pharisee thought in his mind. That if Jesus knew the sin of this woman, he would not let her touch him. We all know the purification rules. He must not be who he says he is. Then Jesus tells this great fantastic story about a man that was forgiven much and a man that was forgiven so much by the king he could never repay. And when he saw someone who owed him something, he refused to forgive them. And Jesus asked Simon the Pharisee this question. Who do you think loves the most? And he says the one who has been forgiven much and the story gets even better than that for Jesus speaks to this woman and says to her that she is not only forgiven but that she can go in peace 
When I reflect upon that text, I realize that the way she accesses peace is that she places faith and trust in the Savior. She must have known something about him, so much so that she would come, she would risk the kind of judgment that she receives in the home of a religious leader. And as she responds in faith to him, she receives that gift of peace. You know, the Christian life is an honest life. We don't come by this peace in any dishonest way other than through placing our faith in Jesus Christ. The question for me in the text on this particular issue is simply, is Jesus still the sufficiency for you? Is he still enough? Is he still the one who for you and me in our lives can offer us that which we long for the kind of healing and the kind of restoration that our brokenness teaches us we don't yet possess. Could it be that the way to such healing and transformation in this Christmas season in which all of us hopefully will receive gifts? I love receiving gifts. I got to be honest. But my wife tells me I'm very hard to shop for. And so this year we did something different. We told each other what we want. Takes the romance right out of Christmas, doesn't it? I just said, she said to me, what is your top three things? And I mentioned the, the, the Ferrari that I always wanted, and no, I didn't do that. But could it be in this season, particular for, for us as Christians, that, that perhaps one of the gifts we have and, and that we know we can receive is, is, is to experience that Jesus Christ is still again and to serve him and to worship him because he is still able to do for us what needs to be done. That the longing of our hearts is for him. That you know lesser things, lesser gifts never fills. Lesser things never brings the healing, never brings the wholeness. I, I cannot preach on this piece apart from saying to you that over the last little bit in particular, thank you to those of you who've done this, some have shared with me how that God has begun to heal and to restore. You know, the, the, the hardest thing of restoration is, is first of all recognizing that you need it, right? It's coming, coming to the point of saying, there's some stuff broken in me. And by the way, I'm yet to find the James Dobson family in this sense that there is no dysfunctional family. We all carry pain and brokenness. We all carry a desire and a need within us to experience the healing of Christ. I don't know what yours is today. I I don't know what it might be for you. I don't know what you are carrying with you today that just reminds you consistently that something is still absent. The answer in the text is Christ. The answer in the text has always been Christ. The answer for us at Christmas has always been Jesus is the answer. (laughs) Do you guys remember that song for this world today? I'm dating myself again. Andre Crouch, when music was really good. If the offer in the particular text is for peace and wholeness and we access that through faith, I think that it needs to be a little bit more practical than that, than that for us in this particular season. I, I believe that the invitation in the text is for us to not only have faith in some kind of general way, but to do what the angels did, to do what Mary did, to do what Elizabeth do, has done. Is that the clearest expression of faith in Jesus Christ and belief that he is the answer, he is the peace, is to worship. You see, I... 
I don't know, um, and I know some of you are going to probably say to me, well, you know, Stu, worship is more than just singing songs, you know, and I know that. I remember a number of years ago when, um, when Ruthann, I think she got me the tickets to go and listen to Michael W. Smith. Again, I'm dating myself. But do you remember when he came out with that worship album, you know, and, and, and just sang all those songs on his piano? It's just incredible. And we went to this big, big church in Toronto, and, and uh, we sat fairly close. I think we were like on the second level, and we were overlooking the stage. And he was out there uh, playing these songs. And here's the deal. You, you, you know, I know some of you are kind of dialing out going, Michael W. Smith, really? You listen to Michael W. Smith, uh, especially the young people? But we listened to him, and as he started to lead, and I mean, I don't know, a couple of thousand, maybe more people, kind of like a, a big church, like some of the churches in our city, and, and everybody just started to sing, because we knew the songs. And I never forget how I laughed, because, you know, at, at one point, he kind of opened to the crowd and said, hey, you know, is there anything I can sing? And of course, you know what they're going to ask Michael W. Smith to sing, is friends are friends forever. And he jokingly said, if I knew I was going to have to sing that song for the rest of my life, I would never have written it. But then he sang it again. But the greatness of the moment was in this. All of us collectively just singing in the simplicity of these lyrics, this affirmation of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I remember both of us being so deeply impacted by coming together in such a simple way with such a clear focus just to give worship to God. I know our young people who are sitting here, when you were at NYC, you got what I'm talking about right now. There was something incredibly impacting when all of God's people come together and they sing glory to God in the highest when they praise and affirm who God is and who Jesus is. There's something wonderfully liberating, strengthening, fashioning, shaping to us as the community of faith when we together come and surround the throne of God's grace in worship. It strengthens our faith in the one who said that I've come to bring peace to each and every human being created. I've come to bring healing I've come to bring restoration. And yes, worship is more than songs, but here this morning in this opportunity, the best advice I have and the greatest invitation I can make is that as we sing, let us sing as one who have faith in the God who has come to be with us. Let us sing with deep conviction this morning. Let us practice this faith before we leave here and say we have to do it one day. Let us do it now. Let us worship not only in song, but let us worship with our time and with our resources. Let us point people towards the hope of Jesus Christ. For if worship is more than song, then it is also about the way in which we invest ourselves in the lives of others. The way in which we give of ourselves to those in need. Simon is confused by the actions of a woman who would spend and expend the perfume on the feet of Jesus. And the truth be told is in that particular story is that Simon fails to worship Jesus the way the woman does because Simon has yet to see the value of who Jesus is. You see, I I believe that wholeness comes and healing comes to those who express faith in Jesus and that one of the ways in which our faith grows is through our worship. And I don't believe you get people to worship by simply telling them what I just said to you over the last five minutes, sing louder. Raise your hands. Clap on two and four, not one and three. And if you can move, move. But if you can't, just stand and smile. You see, I don't think worship comes 
as something forced upon us, I think worship comes out of knowing Jesus. I think worship comes out of having a personal relationship with Christ. And I I don't want to be presumptuous this morning, but could it be that perhaps there's someone here today who says, you know, I haven't yet made that turn or that decision in my life. I haven't yet come to the point of surrender and saying, I want to place my faith in him. And this morning, there's an opportunity for you to respond. There's an opportunity. There's an invitation for you to say yes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that he can be Savior and Lord of your life. But for those of us who know Jesus, We've experienced the Savior who knows what we've been saved from. Is there anyone less or more worthy of our praise than him? Is there anyone that deserves more than him? You know, when when, when we worship Jesus, when we, we give thanks to him in our life and in different areas of our life, when our our life is, is prioritized with him as the center, as the, as the beginning and the end of our life. It's amazing how things look differently. It's amazing how the challenges we often carry doesn't seem to be as challenging. It's amazing how simple some things become that otherwise are complex. And in a world that is so advanced and in a world that is so complex with the problems and the challenges that we face from Syrian refugees to to crisis and food shortages in different parts of the world to, to sex trafficking and all the kinds of things that we have to deal with, it does not begin there, friends. It begins with the simple truth that Christ is the only hope we have. And it begins in you and in me. I wonder this morning, and I said this to Kelly, I said, Kelly, I think I want to just end with us just really kind of leaning in and singing. Singing songs that bring glory to God. Perhaps you're not there. You, you say to me, you know what, Stu, I, I'm not sure I'm there, but you know, I want to be. I, I want to invite you as an act of faith to sing these songs and to... Perhaps you're not ready to sing them, but you can listen to the words. And maybe it becomes a prayer. Maybe for some of us it is a a desperate cry for God to rekindle and to stir your heart again and to renew you. To pour out His grace and His mercy so that you and I again would return to that first love. (laughs) The first love that makes us smile when we think about how good God is. The kind of first love that makes us rejoice. The kind of love that... That doesn't make us count the cost. We just have to do what God wants us to do because that's all there is. The, the, the kind of love for Jesus that, that, that our forefathers sacrificed tremendously for. You know, we could criticize those who've gone before us, but this we can say of them that is true. That man, Jesus meant all to some of the saints of old. So much so that nothing was, nothing was enough. Nothing was too sacred. Nothing was too costly. Jesus mattered so much, he was at the center of their life. Jesus was at the center of my grandmother's life. A woman who made fun of me a lot. But who prayed for me relentlessly that I would know Jesus. I honestly think that my grandmother could not have cared whether I became a pastor or not. I don't mean that lightly because I think she'd be delighted with me today. Because look at me. I mean, it's just awesome. 
But this was her prayer, that I would know Christ. That I would know Christ. She, she knew him. And she knew that what I needed was to know him. You know, and, and, and I want to say to us as a community of faith, I don't know how to preach that. <laughs> I don't know how to say, I, I really don't. I don't know if exegesis will ever get me there, Trent. Maybe you can help me. Sit me down over coffee and say, here, Stu, this is how you do it, like you did last week. And by all accounts, people said your thoughts were good. I don't know how I convince you of this other than to say, may my life demonstrate that I know him. May you begin to see evidence in my heart that the wholeness and the peace of Christ is here. You know, when you know the peace of Christ has gripped someone's life, is, is, that, is that you would never know, not that we, we have to be Superman here, but you would never know some of the things they are carrying. I'm not being self-declarative right now, but I'm just saying, some of the saints that I've met over time, you'd look at them and you go, there's something qualitatively different about their lives, and yet they go through some of the hardest things, and no one ever really knows that they're dealing with it. There is something about the life of the person who knows his Savior. Do you know him? Have you known him? Are you distant to him? Does things just feel regular, routine, or have you never ever really experienced him? I, I want to invite you in faith today to respond to the hope that the gospel offers to us, that he will draw near to you and he will draw near to me. And by his Holy Spirit, may he speak to our hearts and to our minds. Someone shared with me this past week of how God spoke to them. I needed to hear that. I needed to be reminded that this is not just about knowing the right stuff and saying the right stuff and singing the right songs. By the way, great songs this morning. It's not just about being a part of a fun church. And boy, are you a fun group of people, most of you. But it is about surrounding ourselves in faith to the one who is Savior and knowing him as Lord. Kelly, as you come to lead us, I invite you as the church, as the family of faith. Maybe the need for peace in your life is very stark and real. Maybe there's anxiety. You know, we don't often talk enough about some of the challenges that people suffer who experience emotional or psychological illness and hurt. But perhaps there's someone here who, who needs the hope that is in Jesus Christ. You need to know that the sinful woman was not outside of his favor, but instead received his peace. Maybe there's someone here this morning that says, you know, Stu, I, I don't know what I'm missing, and I'm, I'm not even sure how to get there. Maybe today I'll take a chance, and I will place my faith in Jesus. May by your Spirit now, Father, you minister to our hearts. I don't know and understand many times why we experience the kinds of deserts or challenges that we go through, but I do know this, that I can lean upon the firm foundation of your word 
and return to my faith in worship and adoration of Jesus Christ. I don't pray this morning that we would forget the challenges we face, but I pray, Father, that these challenges would not keep us from seeing the great treasure that is in your Son. We are an educated people. We are a learned people. We are a people of wealth and comfort. But, Father, we are a people that cannot get the peace that only you can give through any means of our own. And so we come now hungry for a peace that can come to us personally, but also a peace that can change our world. And so we think of the homeless. We think of the refugee. We think of the single mom and the person lying in a hospital bed. We think of those who today, for them, these are not only good ideas, but dire needs, and they are aware of it. And so we pray that your kingdom will come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may it begin within our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.